Margaret Carrington King is my rock and in many ways my savior because I, she helps me get dressed. I can't put on my shoes by myself and I can put my socks on one at a time. And uh, then when I go out for a walk, she, uh, at the foot of the stairs, she uh, helps me put my ankle foot orthosis on and puts on my New Balance shoes. And so she uh, fills the gap in more ways than one. You boys are lucky to have her as your mother. Hello and welcome back to King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King. And not just another Kings of the Ride episode like the past couple have been with guests Laura King and Ben King. Folks, let me just blow your socks off and say that today's guest is also Ted King. Only this Ted King is not me. I'm not looking in a mirror and talking to myself. Nope. This episode is with my dad. So given the age in which we live... I tend to believe that I live a decently transparent life. If you've, if you've listened to this podcast or paid attention to my social media or my online musings, you've heard me talk about the King Challenge before. The now 10-year event is one that I host. It takes place each mid-October, October 16th, now 2021. We are now in our 11th edition of the ride. The King Challenge is a charity bike ride that benefits the Crumple Center, which is an organization dedicated to improving the lives of those living with brain injury. Now, my dad had a brain injury about 18 years ago in the form of a stroke. A very healthy, happy family man at the time. It was a transformative time in my life. I was in college at the time. I was only recently getting into cycling. My dad was a foundational part of our family. He still is. Things are just very different. Now, I'd say that no two brain injuries are alike. My mom, who dad mentioned at the top of the show, is now his caregiver. Their lives took a wild change of trajectory, effectively in the blink of an eye. And the purpose of this episode is to help flesh out some of those details about how I got where I am now, what life is like living with a brain injury, how brain injuries are a hidden epidemic, in this country and all across the world, and what something like the Krempel Center and King Challenge are truly all about. Now, I wanted to sit down and record this conversation with my dad because when we recorded, he had only recently returned home after two months in an inpatient rehab hospital after falling on the ground out on a walk around Thanksgiving 2020, last fall. He suffered a brain bleed. He had a craniotomy, all sorts of wild things that I never really took to public despite that transparent life. Some things need not be said. And yet here we are talking to him and talking about them. Given dad's medical background, I think he's rather stoic. He's sort of boilerplate about it all. But despite some herky-jerky flow to the conversation, I encourage you to really listen into this episode because I think, I think my dad is really going to impress you. He has some really, really good stories to tell. Listen to his, his vocabulary, his ability to recollect his memory, it, it truly just boggles my mind how intelligent he is after what I would call a few too many brain injuries. Now, I won't go into further detail because my dad is the star of this show. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the other, the first, Ted King. 
Testing one, two, three, four, five. Ooh, you're like a seasoned pro. Very good. When was the last time you were on a podcast? This is my first ever. Oh, congratulations. Well, this is fun. This is the first time outside of my wife that I've had a guest, uh, a family member guest. I'm uh, flattered to be included in this uh, among those lucky people who've been your guests oh, great. on the podcast. Yeah. Mom listens to them on her long walks. Yeah. And what would you like to hear about? Well, speaking of long walks, do you remember what transpired on November 17th, 2020? That was the day I gave myself my second brain injury, a self-induced concussion. Take a spill on a walk? I uh, used to take a walk every day after lunch. On this particular day, which is around Thanksgiving, I uh, was on a walk, and we have about 10 acres of woods. And I walked through the woods and came out the other side on a adjoining road, Dudley Road. And I started walking on the other side of the road. And... Uh, First thing I knew, I uh, I wear ankle foot orthosis because I have left hemiplegia and a drop foot. So unless I wear the ankle foot orthosis, I often stumble. And suddenly I was face down on a macadam and okay. I wasn't aware that I'd lost any consciousness. But as I... So you took a spill face first on the pavement, right? And I was bleeding profusely from my forehead. And because I'm anticoagulated on Plavix, an anticoagulant, and I knew the bleeding was not going to stop spontaneously. So I took light of my situation and I started praying and yelling for help. And that help finally arrived in the form of a black gardener's pickup truck. And I, best thing about that stop was that they didn't run me over. <laughs> and that is good. He, uh, I prevailed upon them to call 911. And that's how the uh, Brentwood, our hometown, police ambulance came and gathered me up uh-huh. and they took me to Exeter Hospital and once they decided I probably had indeed had a concussion they transferred me to uh, Portsmouth Hospital where I came under the care of uh, Dr. Palatroni and he in a recent New Hampshire magazine was listed as uh, in the doc, best doctor's issue. He was listed at, as the uh, best uh, neurosurgeon. And so it was my lucky day in some ways yeah. because he was my uh, physician who did the mini craniotomy on my head. And they had to delay 
starting of a surgery because I was already anticoagulated. And so he did a mini craniotomy. Mm-hmm. And uh, So let me paint a picture real quick. So that happened on Tuesday, a week and a half before Thanksgiving. And then you had the surgery, I want to say the Friday after Thanksgiving. No, that's not correct. Do you remember what day it was? You had the surgery, I think, the Monday after, the Monday before Thanksgiving. Because you had to wait for the, the your blood to thicken up and coagulate. Or for them to type and cross enough uh, units of blood so they could uh, uh, replace any blood loss mm-hmm. as necessary. Mm-hmm. And so the surgery went, uh, I guess, like clockwork and as any neurosurgery can go. And so uh, I was transferred then to uh, uh, Northeast Rehab Hospital in uh, on Pease Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. And there uh, I uh, uh, languished until they finally found a uh, more permanent home for me at... Uh, Langdon Place in Dover, mm-hmm. and I was spent uh, many weeks there, and that was uh, I th- told the lady that checked me out that I would not recommend this place to anybody. <laughs> All said and done, you have been gone since before Thanksgiving. It is now mid-January, so call it the better part of two months. And I think, yeah, you're at your final Langdon location for. Maybe On the other hand, they, uh, Langdon Place uh, got me back to uh, walking mm-hmm. independently mm-hmm. and with a cane, both with a something called a hemi-walker, which is a four-legged uh, contraption that, unlike a cane, which will fall over if you stop, and uh, a hemi-walker has four legs, so you can you can't take it up stairs with you, but you learn quickly learn where to put it and so uh, it's right there for you when you descend the stairs i go up four or five stairs at a time lead with a good and descend with a bad leg mm-hmm. and i'm a left hemiplegic so i'd go up with my right leg each step and one step at a time one step and then bring the left foot up to the same step and down with a bad leading with the left leg going down stairs. Mm-hmm. And if you, by leaving a hemi walker at the right spot, it was right there for me to pick out just after I down the last step. And that was a big step toward independence and uh, then I graduated to walking with a cane and the Hemi Walker was one of my parting glyphs from Langdon Place was a my own stainless steel Hemi Walker which is much heavier than the aluminum one that Ray placed. So 2003 is when you suffered a stroke. Uh, how much of March 23rd, 2003, do you remember? 
I wonder how much you remember, and I wonder how much has just been stories retold. What do you remember about March 23rd, 2003? Well, uh, I have to think about this for a few seconds. Yeah. My sister from Boulder, Colorado, and her husband uh, had come for a visit. And because my parents were living at Riverwoods, and they, my sisters would help transition them from, say, uh, uh, winter to uh, spring clothing. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, like clockwork, the f- phone rang, and it was a, a ER doc at Exeter Hospital. And he, or she, he asked me if I would come into the ER there was a patient with a uh, middle-aged man with a quote hot knee mm-hmm. a warm knee and a fever he had a high white count and x-rays were normal of his knee so would I mind coming in to run my hands over the this uh, gentleman help him figure what what to do with him and i of course said nothing i'd rather do <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh so i drove into um extra er which i the car practically steers itself all the way in and i from having made the drive so saw many times. the uh, saw this gentleman and indeed his knee was a little swollen and warm, and he had a slight fever, and his white count was elevated. And so I uh, wound up uh, aspirating the knee. I put a big needle into his knee and uh, sucked out uh, several cc's of... uh, Pinkish uh, fluid, i.e., pus, and uh, I sent it to the laboratory for uh, white count and uh, gram stain, and report came back uh, many white cells and uh, a few gram positive cocci, which means either staph or strep infection. So I started some. Uh, next generation uh, antibiotics intravenously on him and uh, bid him farewell. I said, I'll probably be back early tomorrow morning to see lab results. And I think you're probably going to be seeing Dr. Itkin, a infectious disease specialist. Long story short, I never made it back because... Sometime after getting to bed after midnight, I experienced a stroke and when the alarm started going off, I didn't know that my left hand was paralyzed, but I kept hitting a snooze alarm with my right, good right hand, so I got another few minutes of sleep. Now, my wife, in the same bed, did not know what time I got to bed which was after midnight. And so with my sister and brother-in-law, Jim Rabin, who was a psychiatrist in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, 
Margie said, well, I'll start the coffee. And Margie's my wife. And she went down and started the coffee machine and came up back upstairs, and I was not out of bed yet. And so uh, she went back downstairs to the guest room and said, something's wrong with Ted. So Jim came upstairs to our bedroom, and he uh, looked at me and said, what's wrong, Ted? And he said, uh, my fingers, and I went like this, which is an uncoordinated uh, left-hand motion. And Jim, who was board-certified in psychiatry, and psychiatrists are often board dual-board-certified also in uh, neurology and psychiatry. And uh, he said the magic three words, call 911. And so... That's how the Brentwood ambulance took me to Exeter ER, where they decided I had a dissection of my right internal carotid artery, which uh, made my right brain non-functional. And that accounts for the left hemiplegia, which is paralysis and numbness and uh, in coordination of my left hand so that's the memory of the uh, the day of the stroke I'm only interjecting here real quick to point out the somewhat obvious when you have only control of half of your body you can't hold a microphone and take a sip of your beverage okay back to the show the hoppy PA it's a hoppy pale ale what are your tasting notes? You get pine. You choose. You want another sip or you want the microphone? Now that's a hoppy uh, ale. The sub should catch on quickly and become the most popular pale ale IPA. In all the land? In uh, our house. Oh, cool. Um, so how about, okay, Let's 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 not talk about potentially sour dates let's talk about positive things you i believe very much enjoyed your career as an orthopedic surgeon well i like saying that uh to anybody who'll listen that uh carpal tunnel syndrome put my two sons through college and i was wound up being a hand and upper extremity specialist Mm -hmm. and i was a co-founder with dr spengler of what's Dr. Spengler and Bear and Dr. Siegel of what's now called Access Sports Medicine and Orthopedics at the Rockingham County Courthouse on High Street in Exeter. So if anyone's ever talking about carpal tunnel in New England, I will often say something that I believe you've said, which is you did the first carpal tunnel release north of Boston. Do you think that's true? I like to say it. I probably did the first uh, all arthroscopic uh, rotator cuff repair North of Boston. Cool. Well, maybe that helped put me through college also. And I, arthroscopy had just been invented when I went to, into practice in 1978 with Dr. Spengler, Kenneth Spengler. Uh-huh. And uh, so we got pretty good at doing arthroscopy. And when I 
found out that somebody had done a, had invented a way to do endoscopic carpal tunnel release, I said, I got to find out about that. Yeah. And uh, so I started, I took the courses and uh, where you do surgery on uh, cadaver uh, limbs. Mm-hmm. The patient never complains. <laughs> well said. There's no malpractice ever. Yeah, they don't mouth no to you. What is your, give me the summary on your life as an orthopedist, meaning my impression was you enjoyed it. Did, well, I, I, was it tedious? Was it fun? I, was it hard? I liked it a lot. And, yeah. uh, what, and, what did uh, you like about it? Well, I could take uh, wonderful vacations and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, medicine pays better than whatever's in second place. <laughs> okay. So uh, was that we why took you some chose amazing it? vacations. I agree. We skied uh, most of the mountain ranges on the planet. Most mountain ranges start with A like the Alps and the Andes and the Appalachians. Uh-huh. And so we took, for our 25th wedding anniversary, we f- f- flew straight south to Valle Nevado, uh, which is in Chile and Andes. And uh, we skied with, with both boys. And uh, that was a memorable trip. And we all took... took the boys to uh, Zermatt one Christmas. That was outstanding. So, how uh, more acutely to the to the practice of medicine, not just what it would allow you to do on skis. What did you enjoy about about medicine? My impression as a kid growing up in this household is that you enjoyed going to work every day. Accurate, inaccurate. Well, I chose. Uh orthopedics because uh, the, the results are generally positive after orthopedics. Like if you, the bone is broken, you fix it. And my one of my favorite stories is a, I trained up at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and at the same time they were building Thompson Arena and some workman was up at the r- r- rafters at the high above the ring le- rink level, and he was installing the lights up there, and something something went awry, and he fell forty or fifty feet and landed on his feet, oh. and one leg or the other was shattered. The tibia was shattered into probably a thousand pieces. Yikes! And generally speaking, in orthopedics, if you put the bones back where they started the bone is likely to heal. The fracture is likely to heal mm-hmm. where Mother Nature ended it, intended it to be. And so I put a well-modeled cast, plaster Paris cast on this guy's leg and surprisingly enough to me and my attending physicians, he regained uh, the whole thing, healed up fine. And he went, regained uh, walking, unaided. And so that was one of my more memorable successes. 
and I did over a thousand uh, endoscopic carpal tunnel releases and over a thousand conventional open carpal tunnel releases. Goodness. Without uh, significant uh, complications. There are many important nerves that go in the carpal tunnel, the median and ulnar nerve, and the radial artery. And if anything goes wrong, if you don't know your anatomy perfectly well, there's a high risk of complication. And my medical student son told me that endoscopic carpal tunnel is falling out of favor due to certain complication rate. And I did, as I said, a thousand both ways without significant uh, uh, complications. And so I was good at what I did. And I, I'd i like to talk about uh, Teddy's first bike race. Okay. Tell me about my first bike race. Well, the Frederick brothers. Mm-hmm. Neighbors of ours here in Brentwood. Whose father, Ned Frederick, was, uh, worked for Nike and Corporation and was a uh, Nike a shoe engineer. Mm-hmm. And his sons uh, had this, dreamed up this idea of the first tour of Brentwood, which is our ho- hometown. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, contestants gathered at the uphill end of Hague Road. And the race was to go down to near the Exeter River and back. Uh-huh. I think and, about a uh, six or seven mile out and back race course, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, memory of as past, I cannot remember who won. Can you you recall who was the victor? I want to say Brennan Dwyer won the race. Yeah, the Dwyer boy. Yeah. He was a couple years older than Robbie Teddy might have Robbie. won his age group. Colin Creedon went into the shrubbery. <laughs> and everybody finished relatively safe and sound. The, the tour to Brentwood. Uh, where do you suppose we got into cycling? I won't even want to ask that. What were what were your sports growing up? Well, I was a uh, little league player. Uh-huh. And uh, Darien, Connecticut, my hometown. Uh-huh. Won the uh, Little League World Series in Cooperstown or wherever it was held. For real? And uh, one of my uh, uh, high school friends who uh, named David Steckel, S-T-O-E-C-K-L-E, mm-hmm. he became a physician. And he uh, he had two home runs. I never did hit a home run. I once hit the ball to the fence, and uh, the lucky uh, outfielder stuck his hand over the fence, uh, caught my otherwise home run. Oh hit. man, thievery! But I had a batting average of probably around three hundred. That ain't bad. So how do you suppose your sons got into cycling if we don't have your... I know. I, the, the answer the answer to that is that 
at one point we took the boys down to uh, Exercycles, and John Gromick, the proprietor, picked out a bicycle for each of them, and that was the start of their cycling career. And then Robbie went to uh, Holderness School in uh, Holderness, New Hampshire. Uh-huh. And uh, the uh, while there, one of the professors stood up at a Sunday night dinner, said, anybody wants to go for a bike ride, join me outside somewhere at a certain time of day. And so Robbie spent his whole day on his bicycle once he got his first bicycle with his friend Brian Pressman. Mm -hmm. And so that was Robbie's uh, start with a cycling, uh, Holderness boys cycling team. And he had an undefeated, undefeated senior, senior year of cycling. And then after Holderness, he went to Colorado College in Colorado Springs where Pikes Peak is uh, nearby. Mm-hmm. And he uh, continued cycling there. And, uh, and then he was uh, won the National Collegiate Cycling Championship when UVM was sponsoring a road course. Mm-hmm. And the course was uh, to start at Southern Vermont and go over Rochester Mountain and then go up Route 100. And and he, Teddy was a freshman at Middlebury College and he rode up to the top of the Middlebury Gap, mm-hmm. which is part of the route. It's about the halfway point. And uh, we had uh, my mother-in-law, Katie Carrington, and uh, my wife, was there, and Teddy was standing by. And uh, Robbie was such a powerful cyclist that he rode up hills, not dancing on his pedals, but he was just pedaling away. And he got to the top of the Middlebury Gap, and he said, Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hi, Grandma. (laughs) Hi, Teddy. And then he disappeared in the distance, and he went down... Long story short, he went down the other side into East Middlebury, and we went went back to Route 100. Went down to the Mad River Glen parking lot, mm-hmm. and we took a shuttle bus to the finish line. Mm-hmm. And the announcer was saying, "There's a yellow jersey rider from Colorado College who's leading the pack," and at the top of the middle of the gap, Robbie was not in the lead. But there were a lot of people slogging upward. But Robbie was the only one who was not dancing on his pedals. <laughs> so he's strong, strong cyclist even then. Yeah. And he's even stronger. And then he, uh, so he won, he won that race. The next uh, national championship was... Uh, I was the year of uh, my stroke, and I was not allowed to travel. So Margaret went out to wherever the Berkeley, races. California. 
Yeah. Where? It was out in Berkeley, California. In Berkeley. In the interim, I went and rode my bike to watch Robbie at the Middlebury Gap in his first collegiate championship, which I say is how I entered the sport of cycling, was watching Robbie zip on through. Um, I don't have nearly the same memory. My memory is at the halfway point, it was the feed zone, and maybe he waved to you and said hi to you, but my recollection is I was his feed zone personnel, and I never worked a feed zone before. So I handed him his food, and then I started running alongside, saying, like, do you want anything else? Do you want a, do you want a energy bar? Do you want a drink? And he's like, just give me the damn bottle. So it's nice to each have our own little memories, but I think the rest of that was pretty darn accurate. Um, so then the next year, I had gotten into cycling, and I went out to Berkeley, California, where Mom was and where Robbie was and raced a national championship there, and you were prohibited from going because you had suffered a stroke. Is that correct? And there was a magazine called uh, Granite State Sports, and uh, there was a picture in that. Mm-hmm. Well, Teddy, Teddy and Robbie were on the same podium after that uh, national championship you were just talking about. Yeah. And so there's a picture somewhere. As I saw it was in the garage. <laughs> but somewhere in the Granite State Sports, uh-huh. if somebody can find that photo I pay real money. I bet I could chase it down. Yeah, Robbie got second place and I got third place. And because it's a national championship, you go five deep. I so thought there was some cool debate as to who won the race then. Uh, Teddy and Roddy were on the same podium. It was it was a bruiser. Um, let's take a shift of gears, which is related to what happened in that interim period of one year. Hindsight being 2020, if you were to backtrack to the age of Robbie and Teddy in college, getting into cycling, and then you transpose yourself there. So when you're about 19 or 20 years old, how much of your subsequent 50 years to where you are today has gone the way you've expected and the way you would not have expected? The best thing about my time in college, well, I was dating a girl from Wheaton College, and that had started as a as a blind date and ended on a sour note. And <laughs> okay. uh, I said to myself, the next female I have a relationship with is someone I'm going to meet myself. And so on a certain Connecticut College for Women in New London, had a mixer-type dance um, every Friday or Saturday night. And so on a given Friday or Saturday night, I took my Corvair Monza, headed down the Connecticut River Road towards New London. And uh, once there, I entered a dimly lit auditorium and uh, walked behind all the available females until I stopped behind a young lady with shoulder-length blonde hair, and uh, I walked around to the bow, so to speak, and she was uh, pretty, and I asked her to dance, and she agreed, and 
so that started a relationship that uh, last August 14th anniversary was f 49 years. And so if we're still alive and still married, next anniversary, it'll be 50 years. And after we were married, Robbie was the firstborn and uh, Teddy came next. So that's uh, the whole story of the King family. And the cycle. squawking in the background is further bits of that progeny where now we have Hazel squawking around. So that is a very, that is a, that is a very good testament to your outlook on life, which is very positive. How about beyond that? How much? You want to talk about sailing? Uh, that can fit into it. You can't predict the future, but you can have expectations and hopes and dreams and expectations and hopes and dreams. How much of your life now in hindsight, you're, like you just said, if you hit this particular age, you're going to hit 50 years this coming summer. If you see August 7th, 2021, that'll be your 75th birthday. That's a pretty awesome milestone. An important thing I've learned is that to focus on what you can do, not on what you can't do. And as a left hemiplegic, there's a lot of things I can't do. Mm -hmm. For example, I used to juggle three balls with two hands and uh, two balls with one hand. Mm -hmm. But now I can hard-press to play catch or throw a ball. But um, I was, uh, my core competency pre-stroke was that I knew how to make sailboats go fast up and or downwind. And there's a thing called the National Disabled Sailing Championship. And I've twice been a winner of that. First time on Long Island Sound in saltwater. And the second time, on Lake Choppy Lake, Michigan, in freshwater. And so, those are two accomplishments that I took advantage of my ability to make sailboats go fast. And I made a Kremple Center member named Jim Scott. He turned him in, uh, into a national champion also, twice. How has your experience been with the Krempel Center? The admission to entry is not favorable. Is that correct? It's for brain injury survivors. Uh-huh. It's Krempel Center, Krempel Center for Brain Injury Survivors at Portsmouth Community Campus. Meets three days a week. And there's a... Oh, Hazel. Hazel's at my feet here. The Hazel, the granddaughter we adore. Your leg she, is she's a, a rug at. <laughs> yeah, your leg is a good speed bump there. This is a good commercial break for your beverage. So, where does the Crumple Center fit into your into your life, into your everyday, into your year to year? One of the best things that Crumple Center sponsors is the uh, King Challenge. And it's King Challenge because uh, it's a chance to ride with the legendary cycling King Brothers. 
<laughs> and there's 10, 20, 30, and a 62-mile rides, all starting at the Timberland World Headquarters in Stratham, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And uh, every crosswalk, the approach to every intersection, there's a sign, turn left or turn right or go straight. And there's uh, crossing guards to stop traffic if there's need to stop traffic. And uh, every year, over 300 cyclists raise over $100,000, and that money goes straight to the Krempel Center. And this last year was the 10th anniversary of the King Challenge. And so if you ever want to tell your grandchildren you once rode with the legendary cycling King Brothers, you ought to go to kingchallenge.org and sign up now. It's around uh, Columbus Day. You're good. And this year it was a virtual You're a good ride. sales pitcher. Accurate. Accurate. So much like the legendary King Brothers, not knowing nor expecting that we were going to start the King Challenge, you probably once upon a time did not know that you were going to become a member of the Crumple Center. Do you suppose you even knew it existed prior to your stroke? When I was at uh, Portsmouth Neuro Day Rehab after the first stroke... In 2003, uh, there was some question arise as I was getting some skills back at Portsmouth Neuro Day Rehab, rehabilitation at uh, Portsmouth Regional Hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, the answer came up as to what to do with me was to go to Krempel Center which is a three days a week program for brain injury survivors. And it runs on the backs of uh, student interns, mostly not always from surrounding uh, schools. And uh, Northeast Passage of UNH is about all about adaptive sports. And I got my three-wheeled uh, uh, green speed, green green speed, three wheel the uh, twenty one sp- speeds and forward. I used to do do, do the ten mile loop with uh, my wife Margaret, mm-hmm. and uh, it would took me two hours reliably. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, there's a big bash at the Timberland World Headquarters parking so, lot. Right, you're you're off topic here. Because now you're talking too much about the King Challenge. I'm curious more about the Krempel Center itself. You were hitting it on the head a second ago. There's a misconception as to if you're not from this area and you don't know what the Krempel Center is, you might think it's just another place to get therapy like Northeast Rehab. Can you tell me what is the purpose of the Krempel Center? Is it just another place to get therapy? Is it another place to get speech therapy or is it something else? What is the purpose of the Krempel Center? Restores meaning and purpose to uh, uh, brain injury survivors that attend the three-day-a-week program. There are all kinds of crafts and uh, opportunities to uh, 
hard hard to say the word excel, but to uh, try different things that you may find some skills that you didn't know you had. One of my paintings was featured at a uh, um, Dover uh, coffee shop, (laughs) Flight Coffee. Ooh, nice. And my best painting ever. Every Tuesday during the summer, I paint with painting. What's what's, what's Brady Nickerson's painting with spirit? Uh And I, one day, Brady asked me, what color do you feel like today? I said orange because I knew I was was going to paint a hand. And orange is close enough to a flesh color that I painted a hand with a... The one. The the PowerPoint. Yeah, raising your index finger. With one finger pointed up and two fingers pointed up is the papal blessing. That's father and son. The first one is... PowerPoint, and mm-hmm. the other one is Father, Son, and the letter D is a triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So talking about painting with Brady is something that you do in the summer on a Tuesday, which is unrelated to the Crumple Center, except that it's similar activities. The Crumple Center is writing groups or poetry groups or emotional support groups or reintegration to Portsmouth, learn how to you know, hop aboard a bus and, and make it to a coffee shop. And my impression is that it's very much a community and it's a place that you can feel more like yourself because the rest of the world is not really designed for, for people with brain injury. Accurate, inaccurate, how's that description? Well, uh, brain injury is very isolating, and uh, people don't like to, uh, people with brain injuries are not great conversationalists, and... You're a great conversationalist. <laughs> they don't want to hang out with, you might as well rip the phone out of your wall, because nobody's going to be calling up to say, ask how you're doing. And uh, one of my favorite uh, scripture, my... Favorite scripture verses is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which is, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me, and I will return you to the place you were before I exiled you. And that brings full circle in scripture verse what I believe that living brain injury is tantamount to living in exile for the reasons I stated that nobody wants to hang out with. You might as well rip the phone out of your wall because nobody should be calling up to see how you're doing. So has your, how has faith fit into your, especially your post-stroke life? You're zeroing in now on 18 years of having had a stroke. How has faith been part of your life especially of late. The uh, memory that got me through, the same brain that got me through medical school has helped me memorize scripture verses. So Proverbs 3, verse 5 is a 
starts with the word trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. That and the Jeremiah twenty nine eleven are wonderful, wonderful scripture verses. Mm-hmm. And I, as I was uh, spending time at uh, Langdon Place, I wound up repeating these scripture verses to myself many times a day. And it was, generally speaking, God is always listening. That is awesome. What are the biggest challenges that you face every day? Well, probably the is getting comfortable. And uh, today I was at Portsmouth Hospital for a CT scan. And things don't always run on schedule. And I spent over an hour sitting in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And my butt gets tired. And from my time at Langdon Place, some days there wouldn't be a PT on Saturday. And there's no PT on Sunday ever. And so I would sometimes spend a whole day lying in bed. They'd feed me occasionally. Every few hours. Yeah. Well, yeah, You your timing of the most recent brain injury was bad for a variety of reasons, not least of which it's not fun missing family on holidays. Then, when there's no therapy on holidays that happen to fall on Fridays, which are Christmas and New Year's, then it made for really, really long, boring, tedious weekends. So challenges include getting comfortable because describe what describe what your physical condition is. You've talked about right side brain injury, left side paralysis. You have learned the art, which is something that I encourage everybody to do. Try to put on your socks with one hand. Sit on your other hand and try to put your socks on. And that's yeah, try sort to of, get dressed with one hand. Yeah. So how about how does mom fit into the picture? Well, Margaret Carrington King is my rock and in many ways my savior because I she does fills the gap. She helps me get dressed. I can't put on my shoes by myself and I can put my socks on one at a time. And uh, then when I go out for a walk, she, uh, at the foot of the stairs, she uh, helps me put my ankle foot orthosis on and puts on my New Balance shoes overall. And so she fills the gap in more ways than one. You boys are lucky to have her as your mother. That's the truth. You talked about your green speed. What do you miss? I know, you know, I know you really enjoyed running, for example. What do you miss from a pre-brain injury life? I miss my use of my left hand. Most most things 
in life are bimanual. You need two hands to do it. Like I can't pick up my granddaughter and throw her up in the, the way we used to uh, pick uh, you boys up and throw you up in the air. And we played with blocks out in the hallway, building imaginary castles out of building blocks, wooden blocks. And uh, I can't do that. I can't get, uh, crawl on the floor with uh, Hazel. So there's, it's a, life's a big compromise. I get tired very easily. And so after my CT scan at Portsmouth Hospital, where I spent over an hour in a wheelchair, I uh, was exhausted when I came home and went, took a big nap, long nap on the sofa, living room sofa. Now I'm, Loving this uh, IPA that uh, was put, placed in front of me. The art of the late afternoon or early evening happy hour is a is a good thing. Yeah, uh, and then in recent uh, years, five o'clock was wine o'clock for us in the King family, and we could have IPA or a glass of wine. I particularly like red wine, and if it's white wine, it's a a Chardonnay, like toasted head. What do you suppose is the one question you'd love for me to ask you right now? What are you dying to tell me? You've done a good job of saying the things you wanted to say. Anything come to mind? I think I uh, said everything I wanted to say, so... uh, as they say in the show business, maybe that's a wrap. That's outstanding. Well, I'm going to bid you adieu. Thank you for your time and insight in raising me and leadership and strength and perseverance and taking me on fun vacations. Thank you very much for listening. Dad, I thank you very much for being a guest on my podcast. Your first podcast appearance, I'd call it a uh, smashing success. If you, dear listener, would like to learn more about the Kremple Center, I encourage you to visit kremplecenter.org. K-R-E-M-P-E-L-S-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. And if you're free on October 16th, 2021, this fall, please pay us a visit to the seacoast of New Hampshire for our 11th annual King Challenge. Check us out, kingchallenge.org. That's it for here. That's it for now. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride.